When I think about peaceful places, this is one of the places that I like to come to, right here along the water, to watch the boats go by and the birds fly in the air, and it's just a really relaxing, peaceful place to be. Today in our study of the book of Philippians, we're going to talk about how to have peace in our lives, because Paul says that having peace in our lives is one of the things that allows us to have a joy-filled life. I'm looking forward to our study today. I was reading this week a Harris Interactive poll that talked about some of the things people think they need to have in their lives to, to find peace, some things that they can use to remove stress. And they talked about things like reading books and eating certain foods and being in certain places. But I think what Paul teaches us today is far better in terms of having peace in our lives. And so I'm looking forward to studying those things discovering peace, and also discovering how that can help us to have a joy-filled life. Hey, for right now, though, I'm going to just spend a few minutes hanging out here, finding some peace of my own right here along the water. Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here today and uh, looking forward to our time. We are in the final week of our series, uh, Joy for Dummies, and uh, we've been exploring the book of Philippians in the Bible, and uh, it's a great book. I hope it has been really encouraging to you, and I hope that you are discovering how to have joy in your life, and uh, it's been a fun day. As I said in the video, we're going to jump into chapter 4 where Paul talks about joy, and he talks about how joy is related to having peace in our lives. I, um, I heard about this man and woman who had an automobile accident. They were both driving, uh, crashed into each other. It was a terrible accident. Uh, just totaled their cars. But the amazing thing was neither one of them was hurt. And so both of them, you know, as the accident was over, they were crawling out of their cars. And uh, the woman looks over at the man and she says, wow, what, a, what an amazing accident. I think it's amazing that we're both here. She said, look, I'm a woman and, and you're a man. I don't think it's an accident. I think God wants us to, to meet each other and to have peace for the rest of our lives. And the man kind of looked the woman over and said, well, yeah, maybe you're right. She said, look at my car. Everything in it is kind of destroyed. But look, I have this bottle of wine and it survived the wreck. Well, why don't we toast to this new meeting between us? And the man said, sure. And so she took the, uh, opened the bottle up and handed it to him. And he, uh, he drank several drinks of the wine and said, boy, that's really good. Drank a couple more. And then he handed it back to her and she uh, put the lid back on the bottle, and, and he said, aren't you going to have some? And uh, he, she said, uh, no, I think I'll just wait till the police get here. Yeah, you had to think about that for a minute, didn't you? I don't think there will be any relational peace between the two of them. Well, in chapter 4, Paul talks about the value of relational peace and how it helps us to have joy in our lives. In fact, I think he indicates that when we have relational conflict, it robs us of joy in our lives. I want you to listen to what he says. I hope you brought your Bibles again. And uh, we're still in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4. So hopefully you've got that marked. And we're going to look at uh, verse 2. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. And if you don't have a Bible or don't know where that is in the Bible, uh, the words are come up on the screen here. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I plead with Eodia and I plead with Synecdoche to agree with each other in the Lord. Now here are two women... They're involved in the church, and Paul says, I want you two to get along. Now, it, it seems kind of a strange place for Paul to bring this up, doesn't it? They, I mean, he's been writing about joy and all kinds of things that we can do in our lives to make sure that we have joy, and sort of right in the middle of this letter, suddenly he says, hey, you two ladies, you need to get along. 
So, I, you know, it seems like a strange place, but if you read further, it begins to make sense why Paul would address this in the middle of this letter. Verse 3, he says, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, or I guess we could probably be translated uh, fellow Christ followers or fellow Christians, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, you other Christ followers, these, you fellow believers, you need to help this lady, these ladies. You need to help them restore their relationship. Help them find common ground. In essence, Paul says, I plead with you, please have peace with one another. And he indicates the value of us having peace in relationship for us to be able to experience a joy-filled life. Now, there are a couple of things that I notice about Paul and how he addresses these women. First, notice that he doesn't take sides. Notice that he doesn't say, you know, Synecdoche, you're right, and Eodia, you are really wrong about this. Now, he doesn't do any of that. In fact, he says to them, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. This is not about taking sides. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about restoring your relationship. It's about finding some common ground and finding peace again in your relationship. And you know what? That's hard for us because most of us are wired up that we like justice. And so we want it to be determined who's right and who's wrong. And we want to make sure we get what we deserve. And we also want to make sure that they get what we think they deserve. And so we don't like this idea that it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. We want to figure that out. Paul says that's not the issue. The issue is find common ground and restore your relationship. Have peace with one another. The other thing that I notice here is that Paul invites other people, other Christ followers in this case, to get involved and to help these two restore their relationship. And you know what? Most of us don't like that either. Because if we see two people who are having conflict with each other, our first thought is, hey, it's none of my business. You know, I, I don't want to get involved. They'll take care of it. But seldom by just ignoring it does it get fixed. And Paul says our responsibility, if we see two people having conflict, is to try to help them. To help them find common ground and to have peace with one another again. Paul says it, you've got to get in there sometimes and have the, the difficult conversation that is covered in grace to help them restore that relationship. We know what relationships are simply too important for us to allow them to be broken. In fact, Paul indicates that when there is relational conflict, it is one of the things that probably as quickly as anything else can rob us of joy. A bruised or broken relationship takes the joy right out of our lives. Now here's another thing I think Paul is really addressing in this situation. He's talking about the value of unity. He is saying it is important that a, a community of Christ followers like Crosspoint have a high value on unity and doing what it takes to make sure that as a body we stay unified. Jesus taught about unity. He taught about it several places, but probably the clearest place is in John chapter 17 where Jesus addresses the value of staying unified. He says this in John 17. Listen to His words. He says, I am not praying just for these followers. In this particular time when he's praying, he's in a garden and there are other, his disciples, his 12 closest followers are not far away. So he says, I am not praying just for, just for these guys that are with me. I'm not just praying for these followers. I am also praying for everyone else 
who will have faith because of what my followers will say about me. He was praying for us. Jesus says, not only am I praying for these guys, I'm praying for everyone who will hear my story because they are going to tell other people. So all along the timeline of history, everyone who's ever heard the story, Jesus was praying this prayer for them. And here's what He wanted. He says, I want all of them to be one with each other just as I am one with you and you are one with Me. He's praying to God and He says to God, just, just as we have this close relationship between us, just as we have unity between you and Me, God, I want other people who are part of a community of Christ followers to experience the same kind of unity. Paul and the other apostles, as they taught people throughout the rest of the New Testament, they also honored the value of unity. Now, there are a lot of things that can happen when we lose unity. And I'm going to try to illustrate this today. This went pretty well the first time, so I'll bravely try it again. I need some volunteers And uh, let me just call out some people, and if you'll just come and help me, okay? So basically, actually, I was looking ahead. If we can have that row where Abby is, the whole rest of that row, you guys will come up here and help me. And Allison, why don't you come too? That'll help give us one more person. Oh, sorry, man, I didn't notice you were the only guy in the whole thing. That's not bad, necessarily. So, um, sorry. I want you to stand in a circle uh, facing behind the person. So like this, and then you face, no, this way. Okay, and then make a circle like that, okay? Very good, very good. Okay, and you'll have to get in a little closer there. Okay. I'll coach you a little bit. So here's what you're going to do when I tell you in a minute, not yet. In a moment, I'm going to count, and then I want you to actually sit down on the lap of the person behind you, okay? <laughs> All right? So if you if you need to get a little closer, okay? So here we go. Well, let me just tell you, the first service group did it really well, okay? It only took them two tries. Okay, so let's see how that... Ready? One, two, three. Okay, well, let's try that again. Maybe all girls wasn't such a good idea. I don't know. All right, try it again. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, pretty good. Not bad. Thank you. Thank you for playing along. Now, let me show you some lessons out of that and and about unity. Some things about unity. First, unity is gained slowly, but lost quickly. Unity is gained slowly, but lost quickly. If they tried to do that in a hurry, it doesn't work. And all it took was one person to fall out and the unity they they might have established was quickly gone. And in any group of people, in any community of Christ followers, it's the same. Unity is gained slowly, but it can be lost so quickly. Here's a second lesson about unity. One selfish act can destroy unity. If one person in that circle had decided, I'm not doing this and just stepped out of the way, It would have never have worked. And all it takes in a community of Christ followers or in any group of people is for one person to determine I'm going to be selfish and it can destroy unity. It just takes one person saying, well, you know what? I think my way is a lot better and I'm just going to do it my way. I don't care how that affects anybody else. It just takes one person saying, I'm going to do what's best for me. I don't care how it impacts the rest of the group. And unity can be destroyed. Here's a third lesson about unity. 
A failure to trust others can destroy unity. If one of them had said, I don't trust the rest of you and stepped out, it would have destroyed what they were trying to do. And all it takes is one person in a community of Christ followers to say, I simply don't trust the rest of you. I don't trust that you have my best interests in mind. I don't trust that you're looking out for me. I don't trust that you're trying to do what's best for the overall good. One failure to trust can begin to erode and destroy unity. Here's another lesson from that. Loss of focus on the mission can destroy unity. If one of them had been distracted and hadn't been paying attention to what the rest of the group was trying to do, it wouldn't have worked, even as well as it sort of worked. A loss of focus in any group of people, a loss of focus in a community of Christ followers can cause us to lose unity. If suddenly we lose focus on what we're trying to accomplish helping people who live far away from God get back into a relationship with Him and be connected in community. If we lose sight of what our mission is, if we have people who are saying, why don't we go over here and do this? You know, it would be great if we start this ministry or have this program, but those things don't contribute to our overall mission. It is easy to lose focus and it begins to erode and destroy unity. Here's another lesson. Sin can ruin unity. Sin of jealousy sin of moral failure, lack of moral integrity. Sin can erode unity because it distracts us from accomplishing our mission and puts the focus on other things besides trying to faithfully follow God. Sin can destroy unity. Here's one more. False teaching can ruin unity. If somebody in that group had said, hey, I've got a better way. Let me tell you this other way we can do it. And it wasn't truth it would have destroyed what they were trying to do. And in any group of Christ followers, any group of people, if somebody begins to teach something that is different than the truth of God's Word, it gets us off mission and it can ruin unity. One final thing is that legalism can destroy unity. Remember last week we talked about Paul saying that our relationship with Jesus is not based on us following a certain set of rules or rituals. It's about having faith in Jesus Christ. But legalism, this idea that we follow a set of rules can ruin unity because whose rules, whose rituals do we follow? And suddenly we can be off track instead of simply realizing that it is about having faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the truth of His Word. Unity is a valuable thing. Paul says in our relationships, we need to do whatever we can to have peace with one another because a failure to have peace with one another can rob us of the joy that Paul wants to have as a part of our lives. Let me say another story that Max Lucado tells in one of his books. Daniel was a big, muscular kind of guy. He had had a falling out with his brother somewhere along the way in life, and his brother had cheated him, and he was so angry about that. In fact, he said after the incident, I, I'm going to break his neck someday. Well, he lived in this anger for several months, but along the path of life, he, began to, he came to know Christ and became a Christ follower. Now, a lot of things in his life changed when he became a Christ follower, but he could not get rid of this anger. He could not forgive his brother. Well, the inevitable happened one day. He saw his brother walking down the street. And here's what he said in his own words when he saw his brother. He said, immediately my body just was overcome with anger. My fists clenched, my jaw tightened, my heart was beating. I felt this heat of anger within me and I wanted to grab him around the neck. But as he walked closer to his brother, he looked at his brother's face 
And he said, I could see in his face my father. He said, I saw my father's eyes. I saw my father's expressions. I saw the image of my father in his face. And my enemy once again became my brother. Because as I looked into the face and saw my father, the anger melted away. And my enemy once again became my brother. When we look at people, we need to see in people the image of our Heavenly Father. And we need to allow that image to cause us to love them like God loves them. And we need to do everything we can to find common ground with people in broken relationships and restore those relationships so that we can have peace with one another. Because until we have peace with one another in our relationships, we will not experience the kind of joy-filled life that Paul describes here in Philippians. There's a second kind of peace that he talks about beginning in verse 4. He says this, we've heard this phrase many times in this book, rejoice in the Lord always, or be full of joy. And where do we find that joy? It's in our relationship with God. And how often should we be able to have it? Paul says we can have it always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says this in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He says don't be anxious about anything. That word anxious has the, as a definition, it's the idea of being pulled in several different directions at the same time. You ever felt like that in life? Pulled in several different directions at the same time? It, we also get our uh, English word worry from the same root, and the word worry uh, in its English definition can also mean to be strangled or to feel like you are being strangled. And maybe you've felt that way about life at times, like it was just strangling you. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, let your request be made known to God. Paul says, if you want to have peace within, it begins with a couple of things. And it is possible to have peace within. And as we have peace within, we can have joy in our lives. There were uh, two small children that wanted to buy their mother a flower and so they went to a little store that was near their house and they picked out a flower and they carried it home to her and they gave it to mom and mom was so happy. Then they said to her, mom, there was another flower that we really wanted to get you but it was too expensive. They said the flower was beautiful and it had this wonderful blue ribbon on the front of it that said rest in peace. And we thought that was perfect for you because you're always saying that you need some peace so you can get some rest. This morning, maybe you feel like, I need some peace. I need some rest in my life so that I can have some joy in my life again. Paul says it is possible. And here are a couple things that he says we need to do in our lives if we want to have that kind of peace. First, he says make everything a matter of prayer. Everything a matter of prayer. Now, I know what our tendency is a lot of times as humans. We think, well, I can handle all the small stuff. I'll only bother God with the really big stuff. There's a couple of problems with that. One, to God there is no small stuff. Everything's in His perspective is... A, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. There, everything in God's perspective is a small thing. There, there's nothing too big for Him. There's nothing too small, nothing too big. Paul says take everything to God in prayer, big or small. 
the other problem with that is if we think that we can't trust God with the small stuff, if we don't learn how to trust Him with the small stuff, why do we think we'll trust Him with the big stuff? We need to take everything to God in prayer because as we take everything to God in prayer, it is a demonstration that we are willing to trust God with everything in our lives. I don't know if you've noticed as you read through the Bible how often you find the word trust in relationship to God. Over and over and over it's there where we're invited to trust God, to place our faith in Him. And so many of the promises that God makes to us are dependent upon our willingness to trust Him. Paul says if you want to have peace within, you make everything a matter of prayer. You take everything to God. You know, somebody has said worry is a burden that we were never intended to have to carry. Burden is a responsibility that we were never intended to have to worry about. That wasn't part of God's plan. God's plan was, His invitation was, you bring everything to Me. Worry about nothing. Take everything to God in prayer. And if it matters to you, it matters to God. Here's the second thing that I think Paul wants us to do if we want to have peace within, and that is to point your thoughts in the right direction. Our thoughts control us, and our ability to have peace in our lives. Emerson said, what you think about all day is what you will become. King Solomon in the Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen to what Paul says in the next verse in Philippians. Verse 8 he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says everything that tries to come into our lives, everything that tries to come into our minds, everything that tries to come into our hearts, everything that tries to enter our minds through our eyes, through our ears, through our senses, everything, should go through these eight filters. Let me read those again a little slowly. Think about these filters. Paul says every thought should flow through these eight filters. And if it doesn't get through these eight things, then don't let it into your mind. Don't let it into your hearts. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Now, if anything passes the filter of those eight things, then let it in your mind. Let it be part of your heart. But if it doesn't pass through the filter of those eight things, don't let it in. Because it will rob you of peace within. It will rob you of the joy that Paul says can fill our lives. Well, there's another kind of peace that Paul talks about here beginning in verse 10. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned. You ought to underline that word. It's important. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul teaches that we can have peace through life's circumstances. Now, how do we have this peace? How do I have peace in the midst of life's circumstances? Paul says whether in times when he had plenty, when life was really good, and in times when he had a lot of need, he was content. How do we have consistent contentment in our lives? Paul says it doesn't happen naturally. Paul says we have to learn it. Did you catch that? He said, I have learned to be content. It is something that God has to teach us. It doesn't just come naturally to us. I wish that it did. I'd love to have that kind of consistent contentment in my life just naturally. Paul says it is something that God has to teach us. It is learned over time. But as we learn to be content, we can have the joy in our lives. How do we learn that contentment? Where does that kind of contentment come from? I think he answers that in verse 13. He says, I can do everything through myself. No. He says, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Where do I find that kind of contentment? It comes when I recognize and understand and live out that I don't try to do life through my own strength, but that I try to do life through the strength of the One who lives within me, through the strength of Jesus Christ. Tim Tebow, who's the quarterback for the Florida Gators, uh, wears those black things under his eyes. I don't know what you call those. And I don't know if you've noticed written on his, it says Philippians 4.13. When asked about it, he said, it's a reminder to me of where my strength comes in life. My strength doesn't come from my own abilities. My strength for life comes from God. That's an attitude that you and I ought to have in our life as well. Maybe we need a reminder somewhere for us. Philippians 4.13 My strength to deal with the circumstances of life doesn't come from within my own ability. My strength to deal with the circumstances of life comes from the One who lives within me. I like how J.B. Phillips translates the same verse, Philippians 4.13. He says, I am ready for anything through the strength of the One who lives within me. That's the perspective we need to live life with. I am ready for anything. Not because of what I'm capable of doing or not because of what I'm not capable of doing. I am ready for anything through the strength of the One who lives within me. The strength of Jesus Christ who lives within me. And when I can get to the place that that's my perspective in life, then I can have peace in the midst of life's circumstances. And when I get to the point that I have peace even in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, Paul seems to indicate then then I can experience a joy-filled life. There was a, an extremely rich man who had all of the possessions and the things that you and I, or our culture at least, would say, boy, that's really successful. But even in the midst of having all of that stuff, he didn't have peace. He tried all kinds of things in life to try to find that missing piece. He uh, tried some mystic Eastern religions and they didn't do it for him. He tried all kinds of different religious things and they didn't work for him. He just kept struggling to find peace. And so finally he decided, maybe if I have some people paint a picture, maybe somebody can paint a beautiful scene that when I look at it, it will just give me peace. And so he offered $100,000 to an artist who could paint a picture that would portray peace in his life. 
Well, people tried painting all different kinds of things, beautiful sunsets, the water out, the beautiful scenes of the ocean, mountainsides. And he looked at all of them, but as he reflected on every one of those paintings, there was never one of them that gave him a sense of peace. There was one other artist that had a painting that he wanted to display for him, and so he brought his painting in, and when the rich man first looked at it, he thought, that's not about peace because it was a scene of some woods, but everything was stormy. There was rain coming down, and the wind was blowing, and there was lightning, and it just looked like chaos and confusion. And he said to the artist, where's the peace in that? Well, the artist said, you've got to look more closely. He said, look deeper into it. And there in the midst of that chaos and confusion was a, a small bird's nest resting in a tree. It had some baby birds in the nest and the mother bird sitting over those baby birds with her arm, her wings spread, kind of covering those babies. And the artist said, that's peace. And the rich man agreed. That was a vision of peace. Maybe in your life, if we could get to the point where we understood that peace is found not by eliminating all the chaos and confusion, but by finding our strength in the Heavenly Father, then peace would reign in our lives. And when peace reigns in our lives, then we'll experience the joy-filled life that Paul describes in Philippians. Would you bow your heads for a moment? And I want you just to spend some time with God. I want you to reflect on some things we've talked about in this series. We've talked about the, the value of finding joy in our lives. And we've said that one of the things that can rob us of joy is life circumstances. This morning, maybe you've been allowing life circumstances to rob you of joy because you've been trying to do it under your own strength and not the strength that comes through God. So maybe right now, you need to have a conversation with God and you need to tell Him that you're sorry for trying to do life under your own strength. And maybe today, you need to kind of drive a straight stake in the ground of your life and say, God, from this point on, I'm going to find peace in You because I'm going to let You your strength sustain me. Maybe this morning you don't have peace in your life because there is a broken relationship with somebody. Maybe right now you need to admit that to God and you need to ask for His strength to help you restore that relationship. And you need to commit to Him in the quietness of this moment that when you leave this place today, you're going to do whatever you can to restore that relationship and to renew peace in your life. Maybe there are some in the room this morning who don't have peace in their life because they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ to begin with. And maybe in the quietness of this moment needs to be that time that you simply take a step across the line of faith. You say to God this morning, I want to accept Your grace and Your forgiveness. I admit, God, I have done a lot of things wrong in life, a lot of sin. But I am going to let Your grace and Your forgiveness wash that away today. And I'm going to walk with You. I'm going to let Jesus be the leader of my life. And if that's what needs to happen in your life, why don't you do that now? And then when the service is over, you need to find one of our staff people, myself or any of us, and say to us that you've made that decision today and that you want to be baptized into Jesus Christ and let Him wash away everything in the past. I want you just to take a moment right now and just pray. Maybe it's some of those things I've talked about. Maybe it's something that I haven't mentioned. But whatever is robbing you of joy in your life, Spend right now talking to God about that.
God, I thank You for joy. Joy that can fill our lives. God, would You help us to identify in the quietness of this moment whatever might be in our lives that is robbing us of the joy that You want us to have. God, would You help us to be honest enough right now to admit to You what that is. God, would You take those things from our lives. God, would You fill us with joy. Would You fill us with Your Spirit and with Yourself. God, give us joy. Thank You, God, for how I know that You work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.